Good morning again. If you will open your Bibles to Mark chapter 7, we're going to continue the series that we started a while back called Follow. Uh, We've been out of Mark for several weeks now through Christmas break and Thanksgiving and all these other things. This morning we're going to be looking at Mark 7, which is on page 842 in the Black Bibles beneath the chairs, if you want to follow along there. We're looking at chapter 7, verses 1 through 23, and in this chapter, Jesus is going to be contrasting external cleanliness with internal cleanliness. He's going to talk about how we as humans often try to clean up our outside and we ignore our hearts. And so what he's going to do is he's going to challenge us that we need to have our hearts cleansed. We need a heart righteousness. We don't need to just keep doing things to the outside to make our outside look more clean, to appear more clean. There's a recent newspaper article that I read in a British newspaper that said that 80% of British mothers believe that the most important thing that they can do as a parent is teach their children to practice good hygiene and cleanliness. But that's more important than character formation, more important than faith. Um, And you may have noticed, you may not be able to see in the back of the room, but I'm actually not externally clean myself this morning. Um, I saw some weird faces out there, so some of you, I think, (laughs) noticed it. Um, It's making everybody a little uncomfortable. It was a lot worse first service because the air conditioner was turned off, so I was hot and embarrassed at the same time. Now I'm just embarrassed. Um, But I I have an unclean shirt here and and really did this on purpose. Uh, You may have not realized I was wearing a different shirt earlier and uh, stripped that off. But what I wanted to help you think about is just that uncomfortable feeling that you have when someone appears in a way that violates our standards of cultural cleanliness, right? I mean, you can probably logically think through in your mind, um, I believe Dave is is good at heart and he's a decent fellow, right? But there's still part of you that is cringing, right? There's part of you that's very uncomfortable because I've, I've violated social norms. And that's what happened with Jesus' disciples in the first century in this, in this passage. What we're going to look at is that Jesus and his disciples were not following the external rules of the religion of their day. They weren't appearing in the right way. They weren't keeping up appearances. And so the religious leaders challenged them on that, and Jesus pushes back hard and says that the problem is the heart. That you can clean up the outside all you want and still have an unclean heart. You can have a heart that hates God, a heart that's in rebellion, a heart that doesn't love your neighbor. And that the issue is is that we need heart transformation. So let's read uh, Mark chapter 7. We'll start in verse 1. It says, Now when the Pharisees, these were the religious leaders, these were the kind of extreme, uh, in our day and time, we would say like Bible thumpers or religious fundamentalists, right? These were the ones that were most carefully trying to live out the Bible. The Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes, the experts, who had come from Jerusalem. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. 
Jesus challenges them that they're hypocrites, that they don't actually love God, they just love their external cleanliness. They just love looking right. And so this is going to challenge us today because we have all we have similar rituals. We have similar ways of signifying on the outside, symbolizes symbolizing that we're clean, uh, when still we can have in our heart great sin, great rebellion, great hatred. And so Jesus is challenging us as well as He challenges the religious people of that day. So why don't you pray with me? I'll pray that we can learn and that my shirt will not distract us too much as we, as we look at this t- together. God, we thank You for Your Word. Um, I pray that You would take away distractions. I pray that uh, You'd help us to hear from You. I pray that You'd help us to understand Your Word and understand what Jesus is saying. Um, Lord, help us to follow You. Help us to understand the righteousness, the cleansing that You want to give us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, these, these newspapers have said that often the most important thing that parents want to pass on is just external cleanliness. Uh, but I would say that, that we believe, and I think Jesus would argue, that the most important thing that we can pass on is an internal transformation, that we would have a character that's renewed from the inside out. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to try to, try to um, contrast the external righteousness, the external things that we do to kind of cover up what's wrong with us, and contrast that with the internal heart transformation that only the Gospel can bring, that only Jesus can bring. And what we're going to do is we're going to kind of spoil the end of the story for you. Um, In this chapter, chapter 7, Jesus really just leaves us hanging. But because I've read the whole book of Mark, I'm going to tell you that Jesus is the answer to the problem, okay? So Jesus leaves them hanging. Jesus leaves them just stuck. He, He leaves them in this place of the external things you do don't work. But later on in the Gospel of Mark, we see that that He's the answer. He is what works. Knowing Him, that's what transforms our heart and helps us to be clean from the inside out. We can't just keep putting on band-aids. We can't just keep trying to fix the external things. And so the first thing I want to look at in the first section is that external righteousness is a mask. I think this is one of the greatest sins in our culture, especially among the younger generation, is faking it, is not being authentic. And so I think this is probably the easiest place for us to connect with Jesus here as a culture is say, yeah, that's, we don't want to be fake, right? Especially in a church like ours. A church, we're, in a, we're a not very traditional church. And so we often embrace um, being non-traditional and maybe not looking like a Christian in a stereotypical way. But Jesus is saying you can, you can cover up with all kinds of things. It's not just clothing. It's not just the way you look. It's just not the music you listen to. But all kinds of things we can wear as a mask, as an external cover-up, as a pretend righteousness. I just saw the movie uh, Mission Impossible. And one of the gags that they use, and I think every Mission Impossible movie are these masks that they tear off. If, if you've ever seen any of those, it's like this rubberized mask. And, and really in the movie, this, the special effects is that they just shoot that actor. They're not really wearing a mask that's good. good. They just then fake it at the last minute as if it were a mask. But they've been experimenting and getting better with these masks. Here's one of these kind of rubberized masks. Um, This is one that a bank robber actually used. I think it's like a mask of uh, the wrestler Steve Austin or something. But here's one that a bank robber used. And if you get close, it kind of looks like a wax figure. You can kind of tell it's a mask. But from far away... 
it kind of works. They actually did a Mythbusters episode on these kind of Hollywood masks, and they found out that in about 50 meters away the mask works, but once the guy in the mask started talking or once they got too close, they realized it wasn't really him. So our, our technology is not at Mission Impossible level yet, uh, or if it is, those of you in the Army that have developed it, you can't tell us about it yet, right? But as far as we know, we're not there yet. Um, but, but I think in the same way that you can kind of tell people who are wearing a mask, I, I think in our life, too, we can kind of tell we're faking it, right? I mean, we know inside. We know there's this shame. We just don't always think about it. We just don't always realize. We don't always connect the dots that, you know what, I'm, I'm trying to cover up what's wrong with me uh, by having a great job. I'm trying to cover up what's wrong with me by having that one person that really loves me or, or having more money or having more security or having a great personality that overwhelms people. We, we cover it up with different things. We, we try to make it okay. We, we have the shame. We know there's something wrong with us. We know there's a stain there. We know that we're unclean on the inside and so we clean up the outside. Maybe for you it's, it's control. Maybe for you it's doing things with excellence. Maybe for you it's, it's external cleanliness, right? Maybe it's fighting germs. Maybe it's just having a lot of money and a, a great retirement. I, I don't know what it is for you personally, but I know the Holy Spirit can lead you to come to terms with that, to come to confess that, to realize that. And, and we all need to come to terms with that. Even if at one time we, we confess that Jesus is our only hope, even as Christians, we, we, tell, we still slide back to following these other things, to putting on these other masks. What the Gospel promises is that Jesus is our, our robe of righteousness. Colossians, it says we are hidden in Christ, that, that He covers us, so that if we trust in Jesus, God the Father no longer looks at us as filthy, God the Father looks at us as righteous. He delights in us as His very own child, and that's the hope that we have in the Gospel. Jesus said to these guys, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. I'm in uh, verse 6. Mark 7, verse 6. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. If you're a religious person, this can be a very painful and confusing thing for you. Because throughout the prophets, God often condemns His people for doing the right religious things. So here he's talking about adding to the doctrines of Scripture. But God even talks about just their normal worship, practicing their Sabbaths, doing their sacrifices. Even, even stuff God explicitly said, do this, when it's done without a heart of love for God, it disgusts God. And this is a different, difficult thing to understand because God wants us to do good things, right? I mean, our, I would argue and we would teach our kids, yes, wash your hands before you eat, right? Jesus isn't against hygiene. Jesus isn't even against symbolic purity. Jesus is against trying to cover up with those things and not actually having a transformed heart. All the good things that you do, having, having money and, and doing things with excellence and having good relationships, those are all good things, but don't pretend that that's a mask that can cover what's really broken on the inside. That's what Jesus is challenging us to, to not be hypocrites. That word hypocrite literally means mask wearer. It's, it's the word they would use for actors in that day. It's to cover the face, right? It, it means to, to cover up. He says, don't, don't cover up, but be honest about who you are. That's part of why every time we have a worship service, we spend a moment pausing and observing and confessing that we're sinners. Christians aren't people that gather together and say, hey, we're the club of good people. 
No, we're, we're the club of people that recognize we have a problem, that we're bad, that there's something wrong with us and we need Jesus to make us good from the inside out by faith, by His grace, giving us the righteousness of Christ. Not a righteousness of our own, but an implanted righteousness that we trust in. It's alien righteousness. It's Jesus' righteousness given to us as a gift. So Jesus is saying, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be the kind of religious person that just counts on your external forms of righteousness. Again, it's fine to do external things. It's fine to do good things. Just don't worship those good things. See those as gifts. See those as secondary to the true heart, faith, and transformation that we can have only by relying on Jesus and Jesus alone. You see, what the Pharisees had done is they had taken some rituals that were uh, commanded for priests and they'd begun to apply those to everyday people. Jesus talks about uh, this kind of thing in Matthew 23, 23. He talks about how the Pharisees would do good things, but they'd do them in a way that would overlook better things. And we'll look at that a little bit in the next section. But what I want us to just pause and think about right now is, is what is it? What is the external form of covering that you're using? What is the mask that you often rely on? And I would challenge you to not just think about it and pause and reflect in church and have a convicting moment, but to pray that God would give you someone in your life that you could confess that to. Part of the reason we form in small groups is to make that sort of thing happen. But often in small groups, you're waiting for that moment, you're waiting for that moment, the the moment never seems to come. Find one person. Find one person and say, you know what, I'm, I'm struggling in this area. I tend to put all my weight on this. I tend to put all my weight on, on success or, or money or these relationships, whatever it may be. I'm, I'm, I'm relying on that as a mask instead of relying on Jesus. Can, can you pray for me? And, and admit that to someone else. In James 5, he says, Confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. Confess those things that you struggle with. We still struggle with them even as Christians. Just because you came and met Jesus one time in a church somewhere and said, yes, Jesus, I trust you to save me, that doesn't mean that you don't continue to struggle with trusting in other saviors. But the ongoing work of the Christian life is to continue taking those masks off. Continue saying, no, I'm not going to wear this mask again. I'm going I'm to trust Jesus again today. It's an ongoing life of repentance. The next thing that we see is that external righteousness actually hurts people. It actually causes problems. And that's what Matthew 23, 23 talks about, that what they would do is they would do good things. They would tithe their spices, right? So tithing is great. We love it if you tithe and give money to the church, right? But they were so meticulous about it. They were tithing out their mint and dill and cumin. It'd be like if they go to their spice rack and they're like, okay, I'm going to give them a, let me give the tenth of uh, my uh, what, garlic to the church. I'm going to give a tenth of my pepper to the church. Right? I mean, they were tithing every little thing. And Jesus says, you're doing that, but, but you don't love people. You're doing that, but you don't express mercy or carry out justice in the community. And so Jesus actually says, you neglect the weightier matters of the law. That's a, that's a pretty huge verse. Because in Matthew 2, what it says is if you've broken, broken any part of the law, you've broken the whole thing, right? So as Christians, as evangelicals, we talk about that a lot because that's important. It's important to understand that if you've broken one little part of the law, you're still a sinner, right? You still need Jesus, even if you haven't murdered someone. But Jesus on the other side of that says, you know what, there are more important things. And tithing your spices is low down on the list. It's more important that you would love people. It's more important that you would carry out justice and mercy. But those are the weightier matters of the law. Jesus says there are some things that are more important and you need to get your priorities straight. And Jesus says that by doing what you're doing with this external cleansing, 
and these traditions of men instead of the traditions of God and what His Word says, you're actually hurting other people. Here they'd not just done a good thing in the law and the neglect of a better thing, but they'd actually added to it. And it says in verse 8, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. He's now distinguishing between what God tells them to do and what they've added to it. Verse 9, he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. Now this is, again, this is very difficult. We're kind of a non-traditional church, so the idea is not to throw stones at everybody that practices any kind of traditions. Every organization, every institution, every family has traditions. You just need to be self-conscious about them, and you need to hold them lightly. You need to always be willing to scrap them when they no longer serve Jesus, right? So traditions are fine. We, we have traditions. Even in our non-traditional church, we have traditions. There's rhythms. There's ways we do things. There's just culture that we have of this is how we do it. And we do it for this reason. But if ever that bumps up against Jesus and His desire for us to love people in this community, then we'll scrap it. And you have to have an ongoing willingness to always push those things aside. So it's not wrong to have a tradition. It's wrong to set aside God's priorities with your tradition. Does that make sense? And that's what he's saying here. They had this thing called Korban where they would dedicate money to God and they would say, basically in today's language, I'm going to give a bunch of money to the church and so mom and dad, that money is spoken for. I can no longer care for you. You're going to have to be out on the street. And, and they said that was okay. The religious leaders of the day were like, well, yeah, more money to the church. Okay, come on. That's fine. Forget about your parents. Don't worry about it. And Jesus again is saying, no, there's, there's a more important principle here. In the Ten Commandments, it says, honor your mother and your father. Take care of them. Love them. Again, going back to Matthew 23, 23. There are weightier matters of the law. Don't set aside a, a bigger thing for a lesser thing. God is always calling us to love and mercy and justice. And if one of our traditions, one of our little external forms of righteousness, one of our programs, one of our traditions violates love, violates justice, violates mercy, then it's a bad one. We need to push it to the side. And that's what Jesus is is saying here. I have a picture here of an old man uh, begging on the street. I was trying to think of uh, other ways that we do this, you know, to kind of compare, well, in that day, they didn't care for old people because of these traditions. But you know what? I I think we kind of do the same thing. I don't think we need to come up with some other example in our day and time. I I think we do the same thing. I don't think we care for, for the elderly very well in our tradition. And sadly, it's not because we're that religious like they were. It's just kind of because we worship youth. Because we think youth is the most important thing. Being young and exciting and strong is, is more important and we kind of push older people to the side. My prayer that is, as our young congregation grows, that more and more we can become a place where older people feel honored and respected and cared for. Because that's a mark of, of loving God, is that we would honor those that are older. The last thing that we see is that external righteousness just doesn't even work. It it doesn't work at all. Jesus says uh, this in verse 14. So in chapter 7, verse 14, it's the top of the next page if you're in those black Bibles. He called the people to Him again. So He calls them around, right? He kind of has this showdown with the religious leaders. 
And he has his little showdown with them. And then he calls everybody else and he's like, okay, let me explain this to you. Hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. They call it a parable here. It didn't really seem like a parable to us because it's not that kind of funny story, but it's a parable in the sense that it's confusing and people didn't really know what he was saying. Verse 18, And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? And thus he declared all foods clean, saying that the foods weren't really that important. It was symbolic. It didn't actually make you clean or unclean. I have a diagram here to help you understand. There's the stomach. Food goes into the stomach, and then it goes through a bunch of other things and leaves the body. Now, we actually, this is funny, I was thinking about this as I was preparing for the sermon. As 21st century people, we're often incredibly arrogant, and we think that, oh, they didn't understand biology back then. But, but they, had, they, you know, they slaughtered animals all the time. They had a basic understanding of what the inside of a body looked like. And they understood that food didn't pass through the heart, food passed through the stomach. And I think they even understood that the beating part in your chest, the heart, is not really physically where, are your, where all your motivations lie. But they did know that that was the seat of your life. And they would use the word heart to explain that there's an inner part of you that drives everything you do. That you are driven by your desires. You're driven by your will. You're driven by your wants in life. And if that part of you doesn't get transformed, sin will continually flow out of you. You can't put the right snack in your mouth. You can't eat the right granola bar and then transform yourself and be young forever, which is you know, what we kind of believe today, right? If you have the right diet, then you'll just live forever and everything will be fine. He's saying, no, that, that doesn't really fix you. It, it might help. Again, Jesus is not against hand washing. Jesus is not against eating healthy food. He's saying that can't fix what's essentially wrong with the human being. What's essentially wrong with us is a heart that is in rebellion to God. A heart that hates God and hates other people. And only loves self. And so he's explaining this to them. He's helping them to understand what the real problem is and helping them to understand that these external things that we do don't actually fix us. They don't actually fix what's wrong with us. He says says they don't actually... or I lost my place now. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? And thus he declared all foods clean. And a little side that Mark is making here. And so Jesus is saying, basically now that Jesus is here, we're not as concerned with the food laws of the Old Testament anymore, which were basically communication laws. They were PR laws, I would say. They were marketing laws that helped people to get a vision. They were signs. They were pointers that pointed to the holiness of God. And God says, now that Jesus is here, those are no longer necessary. Verse 20, He said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. If you look through all the sin lists in the New Testament, there's a lot of these kind of sin lists, right? Where it's like, if you walk with the Spirit, these good things come out, right, in Galatians 5, but if you walk according to the flesh, these bad things come out. And what's interesting is these sin lists are always mixed up in a very uncomfortable way. Because what they do is they mix up pagan sins with religious sins. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a religious person, and I'd wish he would, I wish he would keep those separate, right? 
I wish I could get credit for at least being religiously holy, even though I'm not completely holy, right? Because I still struggle with evil thoughts and I still struggle with envy and I still struggle with coveting. But I just wish I could get credit for it. But I don't do any of those external things. I don't see, do the things that everybody sees. I haven't murdered anybody. I, I haven't cheated on my wife, right? Can I get credit for that? And Jesus is saying, no, all of these sins are all mixed up. We're, we're all sinners. Paul talks about this in, in Romans 1. He talks about all the external sins, all the pagan sins in Romans 1. And then in Romans 2, he says, and you religious people, you're bad too. You're envying and you're slandering and you're backbiting. We're all sinners. It doesn't matter how you control it. It doesn't matter how you externally manage it and try to clean it up. You can't fix what's wrong with you. Only Jesus can do that. Evil thoughts are things that are very hard to hide. Evil thoughts are something that's very hard for us to clean on the outside. No matter how clean my shirt is, it doesn't fix my evil thoughts. Right? Sexual immorality is a little more obvious. That's something that people see more often. And I, because we're in the 21st century, I feel like we have to define this one. I think every culture and every society throws out portions of the Ten Commandments, throws out portions of God's law. And I think sexual immorality just happens to be the one in our day and time that we've kind of thrown out and said, it's no big deal, do whatever you want. But I would say that God's design for sex is that it is a beautiful gift from God, but it's meant to be kept and protected in the covenant marriage of a man and woman. And that that's God's design. So God's not against sex. He's just against doing it anytime, anywhere, no matter how you want to. He's saying, no, I've, I have a design for it. I've, I've created it. And I know better than you do how this thing is designed, how this gift is designed. And so that's something I feel like I have to define for us. But I think all the other ones we understand. I think all the other ones we know pretty well. Theft. You know it's not right to steal. We still recognize that one in our society. There's other societies that don't care about that one, but we still kind of care about that one. We're into property rights here. Murder. We're not really into murder. And just to clarify, murder is different than killing. Uh, the, Bible, uh, the Bible enforces that it's okay to uh, kill someone for doing what is evil in a judicial sense, but that uh, regular people don't just take that on themselves and do that whenever they want to. And then if you're just mad at someone and you kill somebody, that would be murder. But a judge can sentence someone to death. Or, as it talks about in Romans 13, an, an army or a police force can be given the power of the sword uh, to do good and to enforce what's right. Adultery, that's cheating on your husband or your wife. Coveting, that's wanting something that's not yours. This is another we probably need to define a little bit. That's actually a sin. Um, all the commercials and everything that we hear on broadcasting makes us think it's not really any big deal and it's normal, but God says that's a sin. And you should be satisfied with the gifts that He's given you and you shouldn't always be desiring something else. Wickedness is kind of a junk drawer term for badness, right? Deceit, that's lying. Again, we, we don't really honor that, but a lot of you that have been in other cultures recognize that in other cultures, deceit is just fine, right? And I've talked to some of you about that. When you've traveled to other countries, they lie and they don't think it's a big deal. Sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. We understand this list. And what Jesus is trying to help us to understand is we can't manage it by doing religious things on the outside. So I really love that you come to church. I really love that you give money, right? I really love that you participate in our programs. But those things aren't going to fix what's wrong with your heart. You need to know Jesus. You need to trust fully in Him. You need to put your full weight on Him. You need to be hidden in His righteousness so that when you stand before God, you recognize that He loves you. 
And He delights in you because of who Jesus is, not because of what you have done. And that's the goal. That's what Jesus is trying to drive us towards. He's trying to help us to understand that we need to follow Jesus from the heart. Not by going through the motions, not by doing certain external things, but by having a heart that's been taken captive by a God that would die for us. A God that would give His life for us. Who would take our sin upon Himself and give us His righteousness so that we could be loved, so that we could be set free, so that we could be reconciled with Him, so that when He looks at us, He sees us as clean. During the confession time of of our service, I read from Zechariah 3, where the high priest appeared before God in filthy garments, which never would have happened in that day and time. They went through all kinds of rituals to make sure the high priest was clean. But I think I, I actually read a preacher who quoted another preacher who quoted this section of Zechariah 3. What he described in this section is that it's to symbolize that his heart was still unclean before God. And even if the priest goes through all these ritual purity exercises that they went through in the Old Testament, he's still unclean. And Satan in that vision was standing there to condemn him, to tell him how unclean he was. God rebukes Satan and his angels give him new clothes and make him righteous. We understand that this is fulfilled in Jesus. That we can be hidden in Christ. That we can wear His righteousness. And that's our only hope. Let's pray. God, we thank You that You love us. I pray, God, that You would help us as a church to be a congregation of people that put our trust in You, put our trust in what You have done for us and not what we try to do for ourselves. Help us to trust You and help us to then live fully out of that trust. We would be a people that live uh, a life of joy and fun delighting in You and delighting in those around us because You're the God that delights in us through the work of Your Son, Jesus. And we pray in His name. Amen.